get up each and every day and find that grace and minister it to your own heart. And with that grace, now strive. Fight against your sin. May there be a real, present fight in your life against sin. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part four, the closing of Grace Abounding Unto Salvation and Perseverance from Pastor Paul Twiss. When Pastor Paul finishes this brief series today, he will have perhaps taken us through the two most profound teachings on grace in all scripture, Romans chapter five and Romans chapter eight. And to explain more, Pastor Paul is on mic with us. So welcome, Pastor. I think this series has been very powerful and should be heard by every professing Christian. Thanks, Matt. These several verses, when thoughtfully read, unlock the prison of doubt many Christians have about their salvation. If someone is truly regenerate, they can have assurance of salvation. Sadly, Christians often lack it, but that doesn't need to be their default position. Now we know that in many churches a false gospel is preached, one that teaches salvation is by works instead of a gospel of grace. Scripture is abundantly clear on this from beginning to end. For example, Paul wrote in his epistle to the Ephesians, by grace you have been saved through faith. A very critical verse. Thanks, Pastor Paul. And now the conclusion, part four of Grace Abounding Unto Salvation and Perseverance. So as I talk about grace being the means to perseverance, I want you to understand I'm doing it by way of an inference. I do believe it's here. I'm going to try and make the argument by way of a theological inference. Paul uses the word spirit in this paragraph, and he uses it all the way through Romans 8. It is the spirit chapter of the whole Bible. There are reasons why Paul labors the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, in part, in part because he is writing Romans to some degree in response to Jewish objections concerning the gospel of grace. And so responding to Jewish objections that have heralded the law, the Old Testament law and so often distorted a proper understanding of the law, Paul talks about the Spirit. He talks about the law of the Spirit as distinct from the law of sin and death. And so that explains at least in part why Paul favors the use of the Spirit language here as opposed to grace. But note, elsewhere in Scripture, Paul writes exactly the same truth speaking about grace. In Titus chapter 2, he says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, training us to renounce all ungodliness, to embrace godly ways of living as we wait for the appearance of the blessed hope. 
So just think about that. I consider that very much a parallel text to our text here this evening. Paul says in Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared. He has in view there the salvific act, the act of salvation, of initial salvation. The grace of God has appeared. The very next thing he says, training us to renounce ungodliness. So with this salvific act in view, he then says that same grace that appeared so as to bring us salvation is now training us to persevere. It is training us to renounce ungodliness. To what end? Well, he goes on to say, as we wait for the blessed hope, i.e. to the very end, to our glorified state. So the first thing to note is that elsewhere in Scripture, we see that truth clearly spelt out in the economy of grace. In Romans chapter 8, notice, Paul talks about the Spirit being the means to perseverance in verse 13. If by the Spirit, there's the instrumentality, the means of persevering, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live That's the same spirit that he references in verse 1 and 2 and 3. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit. The spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. There it is again, that saving act. It's the same spirit prompting, causing salvation. It is that same spirit that is now being set to work to cause us to persevere. And then thirdly, if we just look at our text in isolation, there is an argument that Paul is tracing out, which yet again teaches us that is the grace of salvation, that is the means of perseverance. Look with me again at verse 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's the assertion, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, for, verse 14. So what's Paul doing here? What's the argument? The for, in verse 14, is trying to explain why what he just said is true. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, verse 14. The reason we know that that is true is because All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Paul is saying, if you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, you are evidencing the fact that you are a son of God. But then he says again, verse 15, for, there's another for. So he's advancing his argument. The reason we know verse 14 is true is because, verse 15, You did not receive the spirit of slavery so as to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. So you see, in Paul's argument, he is constructing layers, theological layers by use of the the four, keep progressing the argument. He's building these layers, driving us back to the moment of salvation. In verse 15, he gets us back to that moment when we were adopted as sons of God. That's the moment of salvation. The second you put your faith in Christ, you are declared by the heavenly host to be a child of God. 
And through his line of reasoning, Paul takes us back there to show us the nature of the spirit which prompts us to persevere. So, the grace by which you were saved is the very same grace by which you persevere. Which means this. The implication of that observation is that you may never get beyond the grace of the gospel. That's the bottom line of this teaching. The grace of salvation is the grace of perseverance, which means in order to persevere and to attain to that final glorified state, you may never progress beyond the gospel. It may not become an old message to you. It cannot be something that you leave behind in your faith. It is not that the gospel was valuable to you in order to bring you into a relationship with God, but now I've moved on to other things. That cannot be the way in which you live the Christian life. Rather, as we said this morning, the Christian life needs to be one where you are continuously rehearsing the grace of your salvation. Your primary responsibility as a Christian is to rise up each day to find the gospel in this book. And it doesn't matter where you turn because from beginning to end, God is showcasing his saving glory and to minister to your heart afresh the grace by which you were saved. Because that is the grace by which you will persevere in that day. And the very next day, you stand and you rise and you rehearse the gospel again because your heart needs to hear of that grace by which you are saved because it is the grace by which you will persevere that very day. It makes my job a whole lot easier. I was speaking to a friend recently. You know him. He likes jazz. And we were speaking about the musicians that go around the jazz circuit, I don't know about these things, I'm saying things I don't understand right now, and he said, you know, these, these folks that get a lot of attention and, and people enjoy their music, what people don't understand is that they're, they're getting up onto the stage each time and they're really just playing the same melody. Every single week, they're just playing the same melody and of course, because it's jazz, they do funny things with it and they make it sound slightly quirky. But he said they're just doing the same thing, playing the same melody every week. And then my friend said, your job is to come every Sunday and to play the same melody every single week. And I couldn't agree more. In one sense, my responsibility is to come every single Sunday and to preach the gospel. Notwithstanding the responsibility that we have to give our attention to all of the wonderful riches and nuances and various doctrines that are in Scripture, the baseline message every single Sunday is the gospel. And it's for that reason that we labor so hard in our liturgy, in our services, the ordering of the services, the songs and the hymns that we sing, the prayers that you hear prayed. You understand we are striving to present the gospel every single week so that our corporate testimony Sunday by Sunday is to sing and to pray and to speak and to hear the gospel. And Joel is so wonderfully diligent to simply tell us that truth. We gather here this Sunday morning to rehearse the gospel. 
And I'll sometimes say, Joel, just tell them again. Because I don't want to assume that everyone here is tracking with what's going on. I don't want to assume that everybody understands, but just be as intentional as you can. Just say again at the beginning of the service, Joel, just tell them this morning we rehearse the gospel. And it is not, do not think that this emphasis is because we desire above all things to be evangelistic. We do. And I pray every Sunday, I pray Every Sunday, God would bring the lost and that they would hear the gospel and that they would be saved. I pray that prayer every Sunday morning. That is not the primary reason that we are laboring so hard to rehearse the gospel. We could fall into a way of thinking that our church, we rehearse the gospel so that sinners would hear it and be saved. The primary reason we rehearse the gospel is for the saints. I pray that there would be the lost amongst us, but primarily Sunday morning and Sunday evening, our day of worship primarily is for the church. It is for the redeemed. It is for the the saints. And we are primarily rehearsing the gospel for the saints. Because this is the message we need to hear afresh. This is the grace that we need to drink of afresh because it is the means by which you will persevere. And so every Sunday, by God's grace, we rehearse the gospel and next Sunday we do exactly the same again. Now, with that being said, perhaps one last question arises. We see the responsibility to persevere. We see the means of our perseverance, namely God's saving grace. What then is the manner? And by that, I mean, what practically does that look like? Because as I say to you that you need to drink of God's saving grace afresh, you might respond, what do we do then with all of those commands? What do we do with those imperatives? You tell me I need to just keep taking in the grace of the gospel, beholding my Savior, Jesus Christ, drinking of that saving grace. What about all those imperatives? That's a good question, and and the manner of perseverance addresses that. We talk about salvation as a monogistic act, monogistic, one Actor, God and God alone. We bring nothing to the table of salvation. We talk about perseverance as synergistic. There are two actors in the persevering. One is God and one is us. God's grace and our striving. But understand, in so much as it is a synergistic act, It must always be God's grace that leads. God's grace and our striving, and yet it must always be God's grace that leads. Notice Paul even hints at this reality when he says in verse 15, You receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So there's our striving, and that is a real striving. 
The Christian life is one of crying out to our Father and refusing to cry out to so-called other gods. There is a deliberate exclusion of all others that would claim our attention and an intentional crying out to the Father. There is our striving. But don't miss in the very next verse, he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. There's God's grace testifying to us. And it's on that basis that we strive. And so I refer often to the Christian life as one of grace-fueled striving. What does the Christian life look like? It looks like grace-fueled striving. You strive, you absolutely strive, but you are doing so fueled by the grace of God. And this is all over the Bible. Once you are attuned to the reality of our perseverance being a synergistic work that is led by the grace of God, you see it everywhere in Scripture. I love to think upon that short epistle towards the end of the New Testament written by Jude. Did you notice what he says? He writes to those Christians and he addresses them as those who are kept by God. That's how Jude opens. You are kept by God. And then after speaking at length about those false teachers, what is the imperative that he gives them? Keep yourselves in the love of God. You are kept by God. Now keep yourselves in the love of God. And then he finishes with that wonderful doxology, now to him who is able to keep you. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That is a real imperative that rests on your shoulders each and every day in so much as you are a Christian. Keep yourself in that realm of God's love. Now to him who is able to keep you. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through the Lord Jesus Christ, be glory and dominion and majesty and authority both now and forevermore. Amen. You see it everywhere, a grace-fueled striving. And so, if I can expand on your job description your task as a christian each and every day is to get up and to rehearse the grace of the gospel to your weary soul that is number one number two and with that grace in your heart you run you take in the grace of the gospel you minister it to your heart daily because our hearts are so fickle don't think that One Sunday to the next Sunday is sufficient. Get up each and every day and find that grace and minister it to your own heart. And with that grace, now strive. Fight against your sin. May there be a real present fight in your life against sin. Strive towards holiness. Learn what it is that God demands of his people and race towards those expectations fueled by the grace of God. That is your job description. I can't sing. I've told you guys this. I can't sing, at least not without the help of others. The one thing you never ask me to do is to sing a solo. 
Whenever somebody mics me up, I say, do not amplify me when I'm singing. Now, I can sing in tune when I can hear the voice of others in tune. That is enough to carry me along and I can find the right notes. And so the very first time that I married a couple, halfway through the ceremony, it dawned on me what a terrible thing was about to happen. Because I'm stood up the front and there are a few feet away from me and I have to sing to these poor souls and they'll hear just how much I can't carry a tune. I wasn't worried about the congregation, they're too far away, but these two who are just so happily married at this minute are now going to be subjected to my voice. And then I relaxed and peace came over me because I realized they'll be singing to me. And provided they can sing in tune, and I'm, I was certain that they could, I can just sing in return. And so the song began, and sure enough, they had wonderful voices, and they sang wonderfully in tune, and I, on that basis, sang. And the Christian life of persevering is one where the grace of God sings to your heart on a daily basis. And on that foundation, you, Christian, sing. May the grace of God sing to our hearts and may we sing in response until Christ calls us home. Pray with me to close. Father, we praise you for your grace, not only in salvation, but so also in perseverance. We see the real responsibility we have as Christians to persevere unto glory. It is your appointed means by which we would reach the end. With the certainty of glory clearly stated, the appointed means from your good hand is that we would persevere. May we take this responsibility seriously. May we ever remember that the means by which we strive is your grace. Not our strength, not a different grace, but the grace by which we are saved is the grace by which we strive. And may we practically walk out that manner of persevering where the grace of the gospel is singing to our hearts each and every hour. And with that melody, Hidden away within us, we sing, we strive, we obey. May this be our reality till Christ appears to call us home. We pray in his name. Amen. You are listening to Timeless Truth Today. Pastor Paul has clearly shown us today that the Apostle Paul lays out two aspects in the consideration of grace. As Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and many other New Testament passages make clear, our salvation is a gift of grace. Our salvation then leads us to the grace of perseverance, meaning, as Pastor points out, we are able to fight against our sin and grow into holiness. Assurance becomes more precious when we persevere against sin and doubt. As Christians, gifted by the Holy Spirit, what more could we ask for? If you'd like to learn more about God's grace and acquiring perseverance, come to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. 
timelesstruthtoday.org, select Broadcasts, and there you'll find more of Pastor's teachings to help you understand God's gospel of grace in Christ. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If the solid Bible teaching of this outreach ministry is a great benefit to your walk with Jesus, would you consider making a financial gift? When you do, others will benefit as you become part of what God is doing to reach thousands of souls with the good news of Jesus. To make your gift of any amount, go to TimelessTruthToday.org and select Donate. Thank you for your consideration. Join us tomorrow, Wednesday, for a new series with part one of Why Do We Go Down to Egypt? A study in Isaiah chapter 31. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.